0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 56 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Broadway Billy. And I'm joined here by my insidious co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man with a lifetime record of 200 companies taken public. He sold so much worthless paper that he got environmental activists breathing down his neck I am talking about the man who's done more flips than Shamu. <laughs> Eat Brown, Tom Selleck, JJ. How's it going? Good, brother. What's going on? Oh, nothing much, man. Just uh, like we were talking about beforehand, just fried from this, this crazy week we've been going through. And we're going to finish it up with our guest, uh, who is an American entrepreneur, investor, host of the Pom Podcast, one of the most popular podcasts in business and investing. He's invested $100 a $1 million plus in early stage companies, including multiple unicorns, co-founder and partner at Digital Creek Assets, and one of the most popular and recognized advocates for Bitcoin and decentralization. Of course, I'm talking about Anthony Papliano. Pomp, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Excellent, man. Excellent. It's it's you know, it's nice to see a fellow Italian. Doing his thing out here, pump. I want to just start off, ask you, what's your favorite
1: dish? (laughs) Ah, you know, that's a good question. Um, if I had to go with anything, I'd probably go with, uh, Chicken Parmesan or something, just something real simple, but done the right way. There, there's some people who screw it up and some people who uh, who can make it well. But if you do it right, then uh, nothing beats some of the staples.
0: Nice, Yeah, nice chicken parm for sure. Give me some veal. Give me some gabagool, you know. <laughs> oh, man, Pom, thanks so much, man. Uh, joining us this unprecedented week uh, we just lived through. One for the history books, no doubt. Uh, it started off with a pump on GameStop by a subreddit group taking down a hedge fund along the way. What was your first reaction to this news? Well,
1: at first, uh, I think I came across Wall Street Bets maybe, I don't know, six months ago in passing. I thought it was a funny name. Uh, You know, it was kind of during all the craziness of the stock market post uh, the uh, central bank kind of, you know, starting to manipulate markets. And, uh, that was pretty much, I didn't really think too much of it. And then uh, this past week, I was like, wait, you know, what are those, uh, what are those guys up to again? I guess they're in the news. And, uh, it took me till like maybe Tuesday night, I think it was Tuesday night or Wednesday, uh, morning, whenever I started looking and like going in and reading it, I was like, Oh, like these dudes are really going to pull this off. Right. And it it already kind of like started, but it was like, I don't know sixty bucks or whatever uh when I was looking, and I was like, Oh, this isn't gonna stop uh and then I think the second thing that I didn't quite understand was just how short uh like uh Melvin Capital was and some of these guys um and so by you know, I don't know twelve hours later or whatever, I was like, they may bankrupt a couple of them, so obviously you know. Wall Street's going to Wall Street, and they saved themselves. But uh, it was pretty crazy to watch the whole thing kind of play out. Really was. I mean, in JJ,
0: th- this is a stock we've been watching for a good amount of time, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the short float. I mean, pump the short float was over one hundred percent. However, that's a possible thing. Jay can explain it better than me. <laughs> which, which I let you, which I let you will. It's like, how, how do you have a short float that's over one hundred percent, JJ? Well, there's a couple of things that happened. Uh,
2: the last time uh, this happened was actually when I did it. Uh, I set it up so we had uh, four million in the float and a five million share short.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I did that so we could hold a stock at 30 bucks on NASDAQ so we could get a finance. Um, but I haven't seen one of those in a while. and I just kind of suspect I don't know the fun guys because I'm you, know, I'm, I'm you know I'm retired now and all that stuff, but you know I have a suspicion that maybe they were short against a financing that they thought they were going to come through on because mm-hmm. you always like to lean on a company to push the thing down to get paper cheaper and maybe the company told them to go pound sand and right at the worst possible time month end, bada bing bada boom, this retail just tsunami comes in, you know and everyone's hooped the clearing firms are upside down and I could just see the clearing firms, all these old guys sitting around going, what the fuck is Reddit? (laughs) Because you know why are we so offside? What the hell is this Reddit? who is that?
1: Right. You know, JJ, why why is the end of the month matter so much? Uh,
2: Because generally people like to square off their books. I mean, you run, you run money, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of these guys that are, that are running on margin and stuff like that. And um, a lot of times I would use a, a market maker's inventory or a Swiss bank to hide a short position for a couple of months. So at the end of the quarter, they got to <laughs> get it off their books, right? Um, so, you know, something like that could happen. And month end is a great time to do short squeezes because market makers don't want to go crazy on the risk and short to retail. So they'll sell the minimum at, at the offer and there's lift, 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 lift. Mm-hmm. And um, that way you can really, you know, you can do some damage yeah. uh, at month end if you properly manipulate a short. And this thing, I'm not saying it was manipulated, barbed, but it's just human nature um, everybody just jumped on it and I, I'm sure, you know, people at DTC and CNN, like they were just probably just freaking out. Yeah, you know, I could yeah. just imagine what it was like inside the clearing firms.
0: Yeah. Insane. And, 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 you know, I've heard on top of it as well, that I guess one of the theories out there is that some of the other funds could have smelt some like blood in the water type and, and joined this to like, Hey, okay, we can take some of the competition out. You think that's uh, plausible Jay? Mm-hmm yeah for when sure there's right?
2: blood in the water the sharks will come
0: yeah yeah for sure so just a reminder to the listeners if you guys would like to trade alongside jj myself and a supportive community of traders we trade futures equities and options join us at microe futures.com Pump. Uh, this has to be a uh, one-off type of event right i mean with uh, all the money right this is what i'm thinking during this time right like all the wall street bets plus retail money that's behind this type of movement this can't equal the amount of money that these funds have Uh, do you see this being a continuing trend where the okay these guys can do some damage to wall street
1: yeah well i think there's three different kind of analysis right so one is uh psychologically uh absolutely retail has weaponized investing and uh you know, I mean, people post people posting saying, I don't care if I lose all my money or not. I ain't selling. H- how do you, you know, h- literally, how do you uh, compete with somebody, right? I always tell people like, it's one thing to go into a fist fight with somebody if they think they're in a fist fight and they're going to, uh, to you know, stop fighting at some point. It's another thing if you're thinking that you're walking into a fist fight and that person thinks they're fighting for their life, right? Because they literally, one of you is going to die, And so I think that like, that's kind of the the mentality here from some of these uh, folks uh, just psychologically. And and so I think that you've really, really got to pay attention to that because now you got irrational actors in the market. Right. And so that changes some stuff. Uh, The second thing is absolutely what you're saying. Like, you know, like it's great. You can have uh, the retail investors, um, you know, with their capital, but you, you need somebody who's trading the momentum or somebody who is kind of amplifying what they're doing. Right. There's no way that, um, you know, guys who are buying $50,000 worth of options or $100,000 worth of options should be able to push a, you know, multi-billion dollar hedge fund around. Um, and so th- there's definitely other people. I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say like they're colluding together. I, I don't think that's the case, but definitely there's people who see uh, order flows and, you know, obviously Citadel's front running all the Robinhood stuff um, that can really kind of get behind and, and, uh, and just amplify what they're trying to do, uh, whether they realize it or not. Uh, And then the third thing is, uh, I think that the attack here, um, Wall Street is very much, uh, they're a bully, right? And so when they bully people, what they expect is those people to lay down. And right now they're bullying somebody and they basically got punched back in the nose. Mm -hmm. And so now what they're all doing is they're all, you know, turning around, squaring up to the threat, and they're all going to be on guard, but I actually don't think that they're going to get punched in the nose again. What I think people are going to do is they're literally just going to leave the stock market and they're going to go play uh, in crypto land, right? Like, wh- why would you continue to play in the stock market if uh, there's a decentralized digital ecosystem where you can trade 24 365, the volatility is way higher, uh, there's way less um, kind of trading volume. Uh, so if you're going to manipulate stuff or whatever, like you're going to be easier said there than, uh, than anywhere else because market structure. Um, and then also uh, there's way less of kind of the uh, electronic trading of the hedge funds of kind of all the like nasty stuff that happens in the stock market that people don't like to talk about. There's very little of that going on in crypto and so I just think that naturally like if you're a trader who's looking to uh clip points or uh, or or drive returns you're just going to leave and you're just going to go find something else to play with um and to me that's actually going to be super detrimental because if enough people do it that business model taking advantage of the retail trade on the stock market ends up actually crippling them more than anything because their cash flow goes away right um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what, kind of how all this plays out, how long it takes, whatever. But that, that's probably the three things that I think are likely to happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's something I was going to bring up to you is that this whole movement seems uh, a great selling point for decentralization, a great selling point for Bitcoin, crypto in general. I mean, especially with what Robinhood did, which seems so blasphemous to me that that's their target demographic and they shut off the buy button. Uh, well, how, try to put yourself in their shoes. Like, what are they thinking? Are they getting leaned on by somebody? I, I'm assuming they're getting leaned on by somebody, right?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that, um, you know, there's two things, right? So, uh, let's walk through two separate scenarios. Uh, Robinhood yesterday um, and uh, Coinbase today, right? And Kraken, and a couple other crypto exchanges. So, what Robinhood did was Robinhood basically uh, shut off the um, trading of specific securities, not all, but specific ones, and then also forced liquidated some people as well. And so what it comes out later is like, basically they were about to go bankrupt, right? Like they were about to be out of money. And, and so they pulled on all their credit lines, they had no more cash. And so literally overnight they went out They got more credit lines. Like they could raise a billion dollars in equity capital. Like, I mean, this is serious stuff. Right. And so when you see that happen, you realize that I don't think anyone, uh, from the hedge funds called necessarily and was like, you know, shut down the trading. Now, do I think that there was conversations around slow it down and, you know, do all that? Sure. Like, I, I don't know if you necessarily, uh, it's a pretty egregious step to outright just stop trading like on specific stocks. Um, and so to me, like, that's probably more likely they just want to avoid any kind of like bankruptcy situation or, or like really, really bad cash crunch. Uh, but absolutely, you know, I'm sure Citadel was having some conversation, right? <laughs> well,
2: I mean, uh, if, if I could interject, I mean, also there's a technical problem when you're trying to short to retail, To fulfill order flow and there's no supply so for a market maker at month end the risk is just out of the control and now we only have 10 market makers of any size in the old days we used to have a red book with hundreds of market makers to spread the risk around now we got 10 firms each one of them has a risk control department so if something's thin and and it's very it's very hard to short to retail because you short you know a thousand shares at 300 bucks the next thing you know you're 350 bid and you're offside 30 dollars and you got order flow coming in all over the place. How are these guys, how can they give you liquidity? So they had had to slow it down, right? Um, And you know what, CYA is the number one thing in the brokerage industry, right? Cover your ass, right? Yeah,
1: I I think the other thing too that we've got to remember is like, if you then look at Coinbase, uh, Kraken, um, even Binance, a couple of these guys, uh, they went down or they restricted trading, disabled trading, however you want to kind of, uh, whatever vernacular you want to use, that was pure, uh, there's so many people signing up, there's so much trading volume mm. that our systems can't keep up. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with an individual you know, asset, right? They didn't say, hey, you got to stop trading Bitcoin, but you can trade these <laughs> other ones it was literally just, we literally cannot handle this much order flow. We cannot handle these many new people signing up. And so uh, I don't think that's what was happening at Robinhood, right? Like I think it's important to kind of understand the difference between those two things uh, because one is an intentional, um, you know, for whatever reason, it's still manipulation of a market because you're basically taking out on a security by security basis demand uh, from the market. Uh, The other is just, as a product, we literally have to, you know, wave the white flag, and we can't handle this much order flow. Uh, and so, you know, we've got to scale up to be able to handle it, uh, and it'll take us an hour or two. Mm-hmm. All right, Pop, you you manage assets, so I know you understand
0: how important risk management is. Uh, a lot of these Reddit traders, as we've seen, uh, we even talked about a little bit of the fanaticism, right? I'm not selling no matter what. They're <laughs> YOLO trading. We got a lot new to trading. Uh, Do you mind just speaking to them uh, about maybe about the importance of risk management?
1: Yeah, look, uh, it it all depends what you're optimizing for, right? You know, for somebody like me, I don't trade at all, right? I mean, I literally, I've got kind of really long-term, very kind of deep thesis, uh, conviction bets, Mm -hmm. and uh, I allocate capital, and then I sit, and it's super peaceful. Uh, I don't worry about any of this stuff. I'm frankly just watching because it's entertaining, Right. But, but, uh, I I don't make any investment decisions based off of any of it. Mm -hmm. I'm also not a good trader. So, like, I know kind of where my circle of competence is and, and I stay there. Uh, there's some people who are fantastic traders and they're the sharks in the market and they're, you know, cleaning up and, and they couldn't sit on their hands for 20 minutes if you asked them to, right? They, they always got to be, you know, doing something. Uh, and there's a bunch of people in between. And I think the first piece around risk management is just know who you are right? Like, are are you the trader? or Are you the investor? Uh, Neither one's right or wrong. It's just what do you enjoy doing? And what are you good at? Uh, Then the second thing I think from a risk management standpoint is like the number one rule is just never, never get to the point where you can be blown up completely. Right. And and so, uh, you know, (laughs) Speaking of that, uh, you know, the hedge funds learned that lesson again uh, this week, which is pretty funny. Uh, but, but I think that's kind of a big piece of risk management. And then the third thing, too, is uh, that there's two different ways to really kind of invest. I think uh, we've really beaten to people's head, diversify, diversify, diversify. Um, and that's fine. But, you know, even Warren Buffett and all these guys, like that's only if you don't really have an expertise, if you don't really, really know what you're doing. But if you really know what you're doing, you're actually gonna be heavily concentrated. And so that doesn't mean that, hey, you just got off your couch, you got a Robinhood account. And like, all of a sudden you should think that you're an expert and you should go, you know, YOLO long into a concentrated position, it just means that understand like as you build up an expertise and as you feel like you're starting to to, uh, really get an edge or or an advantage somewhere, you don't want to have 500 positions. Right. You know, you, you're probably better off just understanding, hey, here's the five things I believe in and just watching them really closely. And so I, I think that people just generally uh, should follow kind of what I consider like timeless investing and in, in financial advice, uh, frankly, because it's just t- it's timeless for a reason, right? Because it works. And so don't like don't try to outsmart people um, or, or be smarter than uh, the market. Just do the things that people know work and uh, stop trying to all get rich tomorrow and, and just kind of, you know, win each day and you'll be fine.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because, you know, I'm, I'm all for this movement, as you know, I know you are as well. It's just we want, you know, we, we take things professional, you know, here as well. And we, you know, it, it could add bad for some people. So I just wanted to get that out there to the people. Um, Pop, you were a sergeant uh, in the army. I, I, I'm just curious to how your experience and how that shaped maybe uh, your, your life, view you, or your discipline, or just your approach to uh, investing in general.
1: I was a shithead before I went in the army and I came out a little bit less of a shithead, frankly, that was pretty <laughs> much it. Um, you know, look, I, I, uh, I went in when I was 17 years old. Um, I got deployed when I was 20. And um, when I was 21, uh, I turned 21 in the desert in Iraq uh, and uh, ended up leaving the military as a uh, sergeant in the infantry uh, when I was maybe 23 or so, 23, 24 years old. And uh, it was one of these weird situations where when I got deployed, I was deployed with a bunch of older guys. And so they made me grow up real fast. Right. I was worried about what parties and, uh, and girls and all that. These guys are worried about their mortgages, their wives, their kids. Like you just being around that for a year uh, in kind of a, you know, combat uh, heavy area that is very much just like life and death and like very serious in some ways. Um, you just was like, Hey man, like there's like real life out there, <laughs> you know, once, uh, once you get done with college and all that. And I think the other thing that it taught me is, uh, is what I consider to be the most important lesson in life, which is like, we're all going to die. <laughs> like we all die. That's it game over. And, uh, and so you, you really got to value time. Um, and, and, I always ask people like, you know, uh, I meet a lot of young kids, especially, and I always say to them, like, cool, you want to be, uh, you want to be rich. Right. And they're like, yeah, 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 I want to be rich. I say why? And most of them don't have a good answer, right? But the the one answer that I hear every once in a while, which I think is actually the purest answer, is because I want more time. And so what you start to realize is you're trading time for money or money for time. And uh, that's actually a pretty good reason to want to have a lot of money is you get a lot more of your time back. Um, But I think that there's people who want, you know, I want a freaking Maserati or a watch or impress somebody or whatever, like, now, if that's what's driving you, sure. That that'll you know be a motivator for some period of time. But it, at uh, at some point, what else are you gonna buy? Right. I, I tell I, I ask people all the time, all right, cool. If I get hundred million dollars, what are you gonna buy? Like a jet. I'm like, all right, so you spent five million dollars, now you got 95 million left. <laughs> right, what are you gonna uh, buy uh, well, I buy a yacht. Okay, <laughs> you 20 million. Okay, you still got three fourths of the money left, right? Like, what are you gonna spend a hundred million dollars on? And then you know, then they're like, oh, I'm gonna buy, and they start coming up with like crazy stuff. And I'm like, I thought you needed $100 million to retire, right? Like you, you just, you're crazy. And so I think it's just people need to, you know, it's good to have goals and be aspirational and, and, uh, and kind of motivate. I think we all are. It's just a matter of understanding kind of like, why? Like, well, why do you want to do this? And, and then it's easy, right? Because then once you know why and you understand like, okay, if I want to retire and, I'm, um, you know, let's say I'm a 25-year-old kid, I want to retire. Cool. How much money is that going to take? right? And they think it's some crazy number, right? They're like, I need a hundred million, That's kind of my point. It's like, well, you actually probably don't need a hundred million dollars to retire, right? Like maybe your number is 5 million. And if you think you can retire around $5 million, then okay, how much money do you need to make? If you want to retire by 35, it's 10 years, right? Cool. And you make $500,000 uh, $500, a year for 10 years. And, and that needs to end up in your bank at some point after all your expenses, everything, how are you going to do that? And you just make it like a, you know, like a plan, right? It's just, hey, this is my goal. Here's the plan. Here's how I get there. Either you hit it or you don't. But I I think that's the type of stuff that when you just remember, like, you know, there's this finite aspect of life, then you just, everything becomes just more obtainable and and realistic. And I think that investing is probably the the area where that manifests itself the most. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm so
0: drawn to the the stoic philosophy. that's what they they really practice is, you know, some of them almost to the point of envisioning their death like getting so realistic about it and um no i love it man like good stuff uh something me and jj often talk about and i know jj is highly curious about this uh pomp and you've alluded to it before about the manipulation being uh less or maybe not existent in the crypto markets
1: could you um could you just speak to that um in general well well so, okay so hold on let me, let me clarify one thing when yeah. i say manipulation uh, there's two different types of manipulation, right? There's price manipulation, which happens in every market, literally in the sneaker resale market, there's price <laughs> manipulation, right? Um, in the housing market, when you buy and sell a house, there's price manipulation going on. What I'm talking about is more uh, the structural uh, manipulation, like we saw the other day where uh, literally, you know, things are getting shut off intentionally, uh, immediately people think that, oh, wait, hedge funds are calling and doing this or that, you know, uh, being able to short 120%, 140%, whatever it was of a stock, like, like that stuff is much more kind of market manipulation. Uh, done from a, from a structural standpoint, and there's very much kind of a, uh, a top end and a bottom end, and the bottom end loses all the time. Um, but but when it comes to price manipulation, I mean that's happening in you know every market, um, and so that happens in crypto for sure. My, my favorite crypto chart to show people is like uh, the Bitcoin chart. It's going sideways for you know 12 hours, and then all of a sudden it dumps $2,000, goes sideways for four hours, and then comes back up exactly $2,000 okay, that literally just looks like a perfectly shaped, you know, like, like three sides of a square, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, how did you know, how how the hell did that happen? There's no way that that was organic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, by the way, I don't know, right, for sure. But what I do know is that I'm not, you know, I don't need to be a genius look at the chart and say something weird happened there. Um, And and so I think that people just, people just got to remember that, you know, it is, uh, the price is different than the, the market structure, but I think Definitely. that at least price people can, uh, can see it, you know, and they feel like they've got some control with the market structure against you. You know, you're basically just flying blind. Yeah. You
2: know? Can I quickly interject? Cause you, you, you're a fund manager and so you, you're running size. Um, I've never traded crypto. I find it fascinating because you guys have all these exchanges and all these different products and they trade differently. How do you work size in this market?
1: Like, um, yeah. So, so here's like the, well, let me, I'll throw a couple of data points out. So one, I do no trading, right? Which is a, a massive advantage I have because everything I said about in, uh, the trading in crypto is, you know, it's 24, 7, 365 on 10 exchanges with 50 assets. Like good luck, okay. right? Yeah. You're literally going crazy. Um, and so what I find is that uh, when it comes to size, like you maybe can trade, like when we're talking like real size, you know, hundred plus million dollars, Um maybe you can trade two, three assets. Like there's just not that much volume, uh, especially when you then break it down across a bunch of these exchanges uh, and a lot of these tokens. And so if you want to be able to put like full positions on and stuff like that, you you really got to be careful. Um, What I end up seeing is, uh, you know, let's take the Bitcoin market. You can trade a lot of size there. Now, can you go and do like a, I don't know, some sort of like smart beta strategy with half a billion dollars uh, on a single exchange, eh, that probably still isn't really possible uh, oh, okay. on, on most things. And so I think you just got to, you know, size in crypto is not size in the t- traditional market. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point that'll change, but right yeah, now, exactly. I, yeah. I, don't know how I look at it.
2: And so, um, and when you're working this stuff, like it, it goes through a centralized exchange, all the, do this is something because i forgive me i'm an old guy so i'm trying to understand this stuff um so different exchanges quote different prices so do people ARB between the exchanges
1: uh yes <laughs> uh, okay cool what, okay, in like cool. in 2017 uh especially 2017 it still goes on now to some degree but uh 2017 i mean there was literally you know $1000 $500 $200 uh arbs uh wow. going on and uh and it was just pure hey i've got an account on one exchange and i can you know buy it at x price and x plus four hundred dollars on another exchange and so you know, it doesn't doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if you can move the uh, the bitcoin from one exchange to the other quickly and sell it then you're going to make money right cool um and so that, that's a big one the other thing too i think uh, uh that goes on a lot is um there is uh a lack of bitcoin sometimes right so it's like today one of the things was like literally like the exchanges like didn't have enough uh, uh supply right it's just not enough people in the market that want to sell and so it, it's a little bit different than like when you have everything centralized in a single exchange or two exchanges wow. you know take nasdaq nyc whatever uh you get lots and lots of volume this may be a situation where you take up you know i don't know what the daily volume is on bitcoin but let's say it's you know a couple billion dollars, right? $5 billion, whatever it is. Uh, that's not all on one exchange. So you oh. may have an exchange that only has, you know, a hundred million dollars of daily volume and you get two or three big buyers come in the market. Like you quickly can change that supply demand, you know, in an order book. Yeah. And so you can get, you know, things that get out of whack pretty quickly. Um, and so the exchanges obviously are aware of this stuff. They try to, you know, quote prices based on blended, indexes and okay. yeah, they're kind of doing all that but it, it uh it, it definitely is a unique market that has unique aspects that aren't uh really available or, or present themselves in uh in other ones
2: fascinating are, are they sorry to interrupt are there liquidity providers in bitcoin like market makers who will provide liquidity? yeah okay cool yeah cool. Th-
1: there's a number of them um you know th- they all varying levels of uh, sophistication um yeah. But there, you know, there's folks like uh, probably the the one that uh, you would feel like is uh, the most similar is um, I don't know like Susquehanna I think John
2: really uh, oh, cool.
1: we'll do it and then also you get like people like uh, this Alameda Research uh, there's a, a oh, gentleman okay. uh, Sam Bankman Freed I think it was at Jane Street uh, okay. don't quote me on that but I think it was at Jane Street and he left and started it and so you cool. know pe- people who know what they're doing have a lot of experience in the traditional markets. Uh, obviously see the opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. Thanks. Uh, Pop, with with a lot of, I think it was especially the end of last year, there was a lot of news coming out about a lot of funds getting a piece of Bitcoin. It seems to me that the the, the volatility, like we're not getting as, as big as swings in Bitcoin. Uh, do you see this continuing? Like it, it staples out a little bit as more and more people nope. come in. Nope.
1: Don't speak too soon, man. (laughs) Crashed 20% in a single day, like two weeks ago, ago, and everyone thought the world was ending, right? It's like, you know, look, I mean, it's all relative, right? So what I'll say is uh, Bitcoin at the, I don't know, sometime in November was $10,000. Yeah. Right? And so talking about an went from 10,000 to 40,000, 400% increase in 90 days, right? Or whatever it was. Uh, and then it dropped 20%. And when it dropped 20%, it actually dropped, you know, it, it was close. It, it was, it felt like it was over a couple of days. Uh, it was more like almost like a 25% drop. So like $10,000, you know, off the price. And so like when that happens, where it drops from 10,000 to 8,000, like that's 20% drop. Like, yeah, okay, it's 20%. When it drops, you know, from, let's say it was 50 to 40, now you're talking about $10,000 swing, that feels pretty different, right? And so I think that uh, the percentages um, are, are getting a little bit smaller, but now it's bigger dollar amounts. And so, you know, you can imagine if you're the the guy who comes in and goes, I'll oh, just buy one Bitcoin, right? You buy it for you know, $40,000 and it drops all the way to 30. Like I just lost $10,000. Yeah. Like that was the price of a single Bitcoin, you know, uh, 90 days ago and so um, I think that it, it's uh, something to watch but I do think that as you get more liquidity in the market uh, through more adoption and more diversified holdings uh, you'll get more utility out of it and you'll get less uh, less volatility
0: yeah well you know it, like I, I mentioned to you earlier uh, I was a professional poker player uh, firsthand and I, I feel like poker players had to been some of like the first adopters really because of the of the use case especially being an American, online poker player. A lot of times you had to transact through Bitcoin. So uh, yeah, I just think back to those days, man. And that's why I mentioned with the volatility. It's like, it's not what it, it used to be, you know? It's uh, settling down, people are coming into it. It's great to see, man. And um, Elon uh, has been a supporter of BTC. It's the only thing in his Twitter bio, at least last time I checked, I know he did that today. Uh, man, and you said uh, Tesla and SpaceX adding BTC to their balance sheet is now inevitable. Uh, Your conviction is pretty strong here, huh?
1: I don't know when he's going to announce it. I don't know, you know, that they're going to do it. But uh, I feel like it's, um, I would be shocked if we end this year and Tesla hasn't put in Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Shocked. Um, And really, it just comes down to, um, he understands it. Like he didn't, now he does. And now that he understands it, you just can't learn about this stuff and walk away and be like, hmm, I know about it. I have, you know, half a billion dollars. I'm not going to put any of it in Bitcoin. Like that just doesn't happen, right? Like if you understand and you have access to capital, you convert the dollars into Bitcoin. And so uh, I don't know how much cash they have on their balance sheet, but it's not $5, right? It's a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, and so I have no doubt that he's going to do it. Even, even if he literally does half a percent, and he does it as a complete marketing gimmick just to get all the Bitcoiners to be Tesla fanboys. Yeah. Uh, he's still going to do it, right? So, like, why he does it, people will debate, is it healthy, is it not, what it But, like, I just don't see a world where he doesn't do it now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man, we, we got we got people like yourself, uh, Winklevoss twins, uh, Chamath, uh, Dave Portnoy, you know, sticking up for this movement, you know, like champion of the people, uh, that's, that's what it's coming across as, you know, do you think it feels like to me, this like a a changing of the guard is coming here from like a cultural societal standpoint. Are you uh, feeling seeing things the same way?
1: Yeah, look, I think everyone you just mentioned has uh, two things in common, right? They all have a chip on their shoulder for whatever the reason is, but they're all uh, from a personality standpoint, like probably pretty more similar than not, Right. In terms of just, uh, you know, type A personalities chip on their shoulder, um, have something to prove, don't mind kind of being uh, put in these uncomfortable positions in public, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would even go as far as to say all of them and me are loud and brash and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, The second thing, though, is uh, they're all students of the internet right or, or or citizens of the internet in some form or fashion and so uh, some of them are a little bit older than others um, I, I like to say actually in that group I'm probably the youngest so you know all those old guys but uh, I, I think that um, you know it, it's just they understand the internet right and so whether it's the memes and the gifts whether it's uh, just the way to kind of talk shit on the internet or uh, the way to kind of appeal to people, the the populism that that kind of pervades in some of these situations, the standing up for the little guy, like all those things are just if you're a citizen of the internet, like you know this stuff, and uh, and you see it right. Like if I see Dave Portnoy about to get into the you know in the mud with somebody, I'm just like whoever the person is, like yo, don't you're you're about to fight the expert, like don't do it, right? Like what are you thinking? Are you crazy? And so like, you know, a perfect example is like Steve Cohen the other day, right? Or two days ago or whatever, started chirping. And I was like, dude, you were about to get dragged on the internet harder than you've ever been dragged before. And you have no <laughs> clue what's coming, right? So it's just like at some point, like I tweeted uh, earlier that day, I tweeted, I was like, don't fuck with the internet, right? Just like when it's time for the internet to, to you know, play, the internet is undefeated. And so you just don't want to kind of get on the wrong side of, you know, forget that group you mentioned, but just anybody that that has any sort of audience on the internet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's incredible. When when people point out this uh, movement pop, this Wall Street bets, taking out hedge funds, uh, and uh, along with other numerous points, um, being a sign that we could be in a bubble. What is What is your take on that?
1: Sure. It, it, uh, it seems like we've been in a bubble for the last decade. They've been saying that over and over and over <laughs> again. But yeah. uh, somehow the bubble never popped, right? So, you know, wh- whatever. Um, I, I'm a big uh, let the free market reign and uh, everyone just open the markets, let everybody play, and uh, the market will be the referee. you're an idiot and you buy overvalued stocks then you're gonna lose money if you're an idiot and you sit on the sidelines because you think the stocks are gonna correct and they don't correct then you're gonna lose right like Mm -hmm. it's uh this whole idea i saw i'll give you a great one i saw senator warren is asking the sec to make sure that stock prices represent fundamentals yeah that was a hoot like, okay, so just so we're clear, we're going to allow the regulators, right? And by the way, I actually don't think the regulators want to do that, right? I'd like, I think the, the regulators would be the first people like, no, we're not playing this game. Like, that is not something we're going But just like, you know, it it, it just shows, I think, um uh, a lack of respect in some ways of like how difficult that is, right? Like, you know, so GameStop, right? I don't know what it's trading at, 50 billion or 40 billion, whatever the hell it is, right? Like, what's it worth? I don't know. 50 billion seems pretty high, right? Like, sure. (laughs) Uh, zero seems pretty low. So like, I don't know, somewhere between zero and 50, like, you know, it's just like, how how do you kind of determine this stuff? And that's ultimately like, my opinion doesn't matter, right? Neither does anybody else's. It's like, the market's going to decide what the value of the company is. And sure, sometimes it gets overheated. Sometimes it's undervalued. But people are going to wager trillions of dollars on these prices. Uh, and the market will be the referee or the judge. Like, awesome.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Markets. market's always right. Pop. Um, I got some listener questions for us. We'll wrap it up here with some listener questions. Let's do it. Throw it. All right. Uh, okay. This first one, there's a lot of speculation that some of the big Wall Street guys are artificially propping up doge coin to draw attention away from GameStop long enough to wind down more positions in which case they're done holding it up. Um, it would head right back to where it came from. What are your thoughts? Uh,
1: if we were doing like a, uh, like a buyer sell on that rumor, I'm a seller of that rumor. Uh, I, I don't think that, uh, wall street is propping up doge coin. Uh, I, I, I I think what happened is exactly what my experience was, which was I woke up this morning to three or four texts and DMs of people being like, yo, should I buy Dogecoin? I went to, right before I went to sleep, I had one or two people, like, like super legit people who were like, yeah, but I could flip in and out of it. And so I just was like, come on, man. And then uh, today I had a reporter DM me and say, I'm thinking about writing an article to explain to people that Dogecoin and Bitcoin are different. And so that's what I think happened to Dogecoin was like just, you know, a little bit yeah. of 2017 mania started to creep in. Now, I don't think Wall Street was like, let's go screw around with the meme coin. Like, like Wall Street doesn't <laughs> want to mess with the internet right now, right? Like They're, 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 they're pretty internet out for the moment. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're tuckered out. They're tuckered Yeah, they're like, yo, if we go <laughs> screw with these guys in their world, we can't call anyone to shut this off, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, they don't even sh- understand what the hell it is. These you guys know, may short squeeze us over here. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, it, insane. And, and shout shout out to Amy for the question. That, that was Amy. Yep. DJ. Shout out to her. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm part of this this uh, a group chat, and like these guys all last night are like, hey, Dave, right, Dogecoin, Dogecoin, what do you think? Blah blah. And I'm like, man, just don't don't mess around with this stuff. You guys have no idea what you're doing. Stay away. <laughs> it's but it's left and right. It's all over the place now. All right, next question. I'm most interested in hearing Comp describe. Uh, How if when all stocks, bonds, mutual funds, options and exotics can be integrated or morphed onto blockchain, exactly how would it work? Would each company have an independent chain or token?
1: Yeah, so my, my thesis for a long time has been every stock bond currency commodity digitized. Um, if you could just go back pre-70s, eighties, everything was physical or analog. And all that means is just physical stock certificates, physical cash, physical mortgages, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, we transitioned to an electronic QCIP world. And so today yep. when you buy stock, you don't buy physical stock, you buy electronic q sip, you buy you know cash, if you use it at the bank, is electronic q It's not physical cash, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, that transition basically drastically increased human productivity and built the global financial system we know today is all on these electronic CUSIPs. We're just going to transition again. And so the beauty of the first transition from analog to electronic was you still bought the same asset from the same counterparty, It's just a new technology form factor. Same thing here, right? It's you're still going to buy a stock. You're still going to buy a bond, a currency, whatever. It's just going to be in this digital form factor rather than these electronic q And so when it's digital, I think it'll be decentralized. Um, and my guess is that uh, each company won't have their own chain or anything crazy like that. It'll just be kind of a standard, you know, open protocol, similar to like the internet. Um, it'll just be kind of, you know, Maybe it's one, maybe it's five, whatever it ends up being. Uh, that just these open standards that uh, everyone can tap into, and the beauty is that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're born, which education your, you know, wealth and any of that stuff. Just so you get an internet connection, you're in the game, and, uh, and I think that's going to be great for uh, for just kind of humanity in general. Exactly,
2: and I think from a storage standpoint, I, having about four or five rubbermaid bins full of worthless stocks or two it. Uh, that are nothing more than wallpaper now, you know, that's just environmentally not friendly, right? So, yeah, no, this is beautiful. I, I'm, I'm an old guy, and I'm just fascinated how you guys created a market out of thin air, and it got, like, so intense. And now you got institutions kind of nipped, going, what the hell is this? Maybe we should buy some. You know, <laughs> hey, what is this? I don't know, just buy some, you know? And that's how it works on these desks, you know? They're, what is that? I don't know, Reddit? Reddit? Shmed it. Buy it, you know? and um and it's good it's really good because this system and i've been in it for a while uh, it needs it needs a good shake up i got a good kick in the ass this week it was fun to watch you
1: know sure, I, I think it's just getting warmed up So that's the fun part
2: yeah exactly
0: yeah i am just it's it's a show i love this it's it's great entertainment
1: yeah, it really is really is
0: next question uh, exchanges uh the kyc and the aml rules uh, how to stay anonymous in the u.s and still compliant boomers don't use vpns and proton mail how will that
1: process work Uh, i'm out of my league on that one i don't know um look you know i i uh people know that i like bitcoin uh it's pretty obvious um and so i don't think i'm going anywhere anonymously or uh, or under any kind of pseudonym so uh i uh i got my real name i got kyca and all over the place and uh Good news is that uh, I don't do any dumb shit, so, uh, so I'm in the clear. But uh, <laughs> there's there's people who are probably way, way better at it than me. Uh, off the top of my head, the two people that probably come to mind is uh, Matt Odell and uh, Marty Bent are two guys. They've got a, uh, a podcast, and, uh, and they put out great content on Twitter and stuff like that. They, they're probably uh, much better suited to kind of help with that stuff.
0: Yeah, good stuff. All right. I have so many coins on so many different exchanges, some probably out of business and wallets with those crazy lists of words. And I have a ledger thing. I mean, can we simplify this stuff? I'm pretty good with computers. And between my son and I, we have two kick ass computers that should be mining coins. Is there any suggestions that are worth the hassle? Basically, what's his future view? Where will we be at 5, 10, 50 years?
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, you know, th- there's this company. I released a podcast episode today. Uh, is called uh, Unstoppable Domains. Basically, what they've created is uh, human readable domains. So I have like pomp.crypto, right? And I can use pomp.crypto for my wallet address rather than use the long string of letters and number, you know, random numbers. If you go back to the internet, like you used to have IP addresses, so you literally had to remember like one sixty one point forty two point six point seventy two point you know one forty one. Right, And that was like, that's how you got to the domain. Yeah. Well, then somebody was like, oh shit, maybe we should just not have that long numbers and just call it google.com. Well, that's a genius idea, right? And like it made it human readable. Um, And so like same thing's going to happen here, right? It's like eventually we'll have these human readable domains uh, for the different wallet addresses and stuff like that. Just the stuff takes time. We're only, you know, 10, 12 years into it. So uh, it's coming. Um, Obviously it takes people to build this stuff. It takes, uh, you know, kind of capital to fund it. People have to be hired. The code has to be written, all that. But but I think uh, just, you know, stay patient.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Shout out to Crypto Costa for those string of questions. Much love. We appreciate it. What does Pomp feel the role of the stock market truly is supposed to be for? And what is it currently? I mean, I just think it's a casino.
1: You know, at at its most ultimate form, like, sure, you can have a super sophisticated uh, model as to why you think what's going to happen is going to happen. You could, you know, I I call it, uh, you you could wear a suit and tie uh, or you could be a criminal with cologne, but it doesn't matter. You're still, uh, um, you know, just betting in a casino. Uh, and that's okay. Like that, that shouldn't be a bad thing. You're, you're wagering, you're, you're risking capital, right? And so uh, you're smarter than going to an actual ca- uh, casino, right? In that there's better odds here. Um, but, but at the same time, don't, you know, don't get it twisted. You're just taking risk and, uh, and, and you're betting on the future outcome of, uh, of some event.
0: For sure. No, and you said it, this is the greatest casino as someone who was a former poker player. And one of my idols, Ed Thorpe, I mean, the guy who invented card counting Once he found trading, he was like, wow, like this is the greatest casino really is. It's amazing. If you could could give advice to the wall street bets crowd, what would it be?
1: Keep going. Keep going. I I just, I I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, look, you gotta do your work. Don't get crazy. Don't get like religious about it, whatever, but just keep going. Like, uh, there's a guy in there who turned $50,000 into 30 million bucks. And people are pissed about it on Wall Street. Too no bad. Right. Like, yeah, and there's a bunch of other people in there who made money too. Like, whatever.
2: Exactly. Who might have Yeah, exactly. Why is it that old guys, like, and I'm an old guy, why do we get, why do these old guys get so mad when young people make money? That's when they should have money so you can go out and rage, right? And have a good time, right? What the hell is $30 million use
0: when you got a walker? Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, well, maybe JJ, it's because it's not done in the way they did it, or it's it's just, it's done in a different fashion and the generations are different. The slang yeah. is, different, I, think, part well, I,
2: I appreciate that, though. I think that's cool. That's creation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you definitely have a different perspective than most. And that's why we appreciate you. All right. Last question we got here. I'd be curious as to his take as to not only his opinion, why hedge fund managers are getting into the social debate media wars uh, making it worse for themselves. Uh, how can these so called successful people like them build up businesses be so unstrategic and unprofessional in dealing with people who collectively are the masses on social media?
1: It's the egotistical maniacs. And all of us <laughs> are right. Like, by the way, like every single one of us has some element of that in us. Uh, some of us are better at it, controlling it than others, but even the guy who's got a pseudonymous account on Twitter and shoots off a, you know, random rocket emoji, like you're the same thing. It's just, you're choosing to be a little bit more strategic, but that, that's just a human uh, emotion. It's a human nature thing. Uh, and so um, you know, make no mistake when, uh, when you've got billionaires that are still playing this game, they're not playing it for money, mm. right? They're playing it to be right. They're playing it for reputation. They're playing for legacy. They're playing for all these other things other than the economic return. Now that might be the scoreboard, but you know, you, you it becomes dangerous when you ask somebody, would you rather make money or would you rather be right? And so, you know, yeah. Exactly. I think uh, N- Naval, he's got a great, he's like, uh, what is it called? call uh, uh, You can play a status game. We can play a wealth game. Right. And so like, yeah, there's a little bit of they're, they're, uh, they're playing the wrong game in that moment, which, which by the way, is fine. Like they're human. Like that's okay.
0: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well that's going to conclude today's episode of confessions of a market maker. If you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. If you want to learn market auction, dairy market profile, if you trade futures equities and or options, join JJ and I, at microefutures.com. Pomp, tell the people where they can find you, anything else you want them to know.
1: Yeah, just go, uh, probably just the uh, the email I write every day, just pompletter.com. Um, it's probably the best thing, got like 120,000 people on there and uh, try my best not to sound like an idiot every morning. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you're the man. Appreciate
0: the newsletter. Check out his podcast too, really love the podcast. Subscribe to that, do all that. JJ, parting words. Thank you so much for the education and
2: also thank you for your service while we were sitting here complaining about bad Wi-Fi and lattes you were out there getting, you know, shot at and we appreciate that. Uh, It allows us to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah, Much appreciated.
1: Don't worry. We were complaining about the coffee too. So we we were all
0: (laughs) together. (laughs) All right. And so for Anthony Popliano, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of house street. Use stops though.